Well, so I uh, need you to do something uh, for me this morning just to kind of help you understand the text, uh, where we're going this morning. Uh, we are kicking off our Lenten study, congregational study uh, of, uh, of the tangible kingdom. Now, this primer, this book, many of you have ordered. You can pick that up today in the West Entry. If you haven't picked it up, we do have some copies of the first chapter. You can order it with the snow last week. We had a a challenge getting extra books in here, but we'd like to have you uh, uh, get into groups to to join together in a daily devotion for 56 days during the season of Lent. That's a a devotion every day for eight weeks, seven days of the week. And the sermon series is on as the tangible kingdom, that book, and as that primer, as you're going through those devotions, each and every week I will kick off uh, the next week's theme for you so that you kind of get an idea of where um, the study is going. But for this morning, in order to help make it a little more tangible for you, to help you understand exactly what we're doing, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you. Uh, whether you know them or not, that's all right. I just want you to turn to that person first. I just want you to put eyes on them. Just go ahead and do that right now. Okay, just, just go ahead and, and, and put eyes on somebody. Okay, so here's a quick question. Um, what did they eat for breakfast? I want you to smell uh, just their breath, if you wouldn't mind. Um, right, so some of you are going, oh, that's what the mints are for. Yeah. Okay, uh, actually, so you got that test down. So you're still looking at each other. I want you to be looking, all right? Uh, so you're looking at each other. I'd like you to extend a hand out there. Just kind of shake their hand. Just Would, would you shake their hand? Okay. All right. That, that's good. Okay. Now, if you don't mind, uh, I just need everyone to stick their right arm up in the air. I'll just go ahead and just stick that right arm. Just so we know that that works. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you would turn to your left and just go ahead and smell the armpit of the person. Just go ahead and just, just put... Just put your nose in there if you just go ahead and do that. Just, you don't, some of you are having a problem with this. I don't don't get it. All right. Um, And then, um, well, because I know you probably won't do the next one the way I really want you to do it. Uh, Will you just take your own thumb, all right, stick that in your mouth. Just go ahead and taste. I don't know if you had some Cheetos this morning. Just go ahead. Come on. I want you to give your thumb a good lick there. Just go ahead and taste all right, so, so this little exercise here this morning was to make sure that you understand that the person sitting next to you is real, right? You, you've looked at them, you smelled them, all right, okay? Um, you've, you've heard from their laughter. Um, I, I was going to have you suck on the thumb of the person next to you, but I didn't figure you'd actually go for that one. But that was the only way I could get you to kind of taste. But I, we'll pass on that one a little bit. Okay. But for the most part, the people next to you, are they real? If the answer is yes, then with a resounding uh, congregation together, say yes. yes. Okay, so the people next to you are real. I want you to know that. And this is important because sometimes I think we forget that Christians are actually Jesus with skin. Was Jesus real? The answer is yes. Is God real? Okay, so Christians, here it is. God came in flesh and he was real. He was real. If Jesus were sitting with us right here in a tangible form, here today, he would have shake, shook, shook our hand, smelled our armpit, heard us, smelled us, right, tasted. He would have put your thumb in his mouth. 
I guarantee you he would have. The five senses are meant for us to be utilized, for us to utilize them in such a way that we experience the world that God created for us. You do not simply have the five senses because God just thought it would be cute. Or he was trying to balance out holes in our head. Well, if I put one, it'll look a little weird. Maybe we'll put two. God gave us senses in order to experience what he has created. And what he has created, according to Genesis chapter 1, is very good. What he has created is remarkable. I don't know the last time that you have stood out on your back porch during the winter. It is great when there's not a lot of cloud cover. It is a crisp cool, clear night with no moon, and you look up and you can see star after star after star. Nothing as grand as this morning, me listening to you all sing in praise and honor and glory of God. To receive a hug from a child that God has placed into your life, whether it's a neighbor kid or your own or or a grandchild, there's nothing like the hug of that little child wrapping their arms around you. And to taste the beauty of God. Every time we have communion, to taste that, that, that stale, dry wafer and that little bit of wine, Jesus' body and blood, it's pungent, it, it gets into the senses, and we go, ah, that's different. We utilize our senses because God gave it to us, and it is meant that our world be, be tangible. And God would have us be tangible. He would have us be approachable. Not the kind of Christians that are standoffish and and behind a fence or behind our doors that we don't ever venture out. God would have us be tangible in his kingdom. How do we know this? Because this is exactly what he himself did with Jesus Christ. It was not good enough for God to say, I will remain in this heavenly kingdom. I will be away from my people. No, I will send my son, my only son, whom I love, and I will touch the people. And Christians, that is what we are called to do, is to be tangible in his kingdom. No longer can we sit by thinking, well, I need to know more, I need to learn more, I need to be in three more Bible studies, or even just one Bible study. No, I don't even have a devotional life, so how can I lead my neighbor to Christ when I myself don't study the Word of God on a daily basis? When I myself don't even pray to God? How can I possibly lead someone to Christ? Well, here's the problem. It's not your job to lead them there. It's your job to be Jesus to them. The Holy Spirit will lead them. The Holy Spirit will convict. The Holy Spirit will turn hearts. The Holy Spirit will soften ears and open them up. The Holy Spirit will do it. He's remarkable at doing his job. Just as Jesus was remarkable when he was in the flesh here on earth. Think about it. Who did he walk with? He walked with the very people you malign, make fun of. He loved the very people you have scorned and turned your back on. He held the innocent when all you've wanted to do is say, I don't have time. 
or I couldn't be burdened. We as Christians hear the Word of God. We, We hear from Abraham. We hear that he went out, that God sent him. Notice these first words. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. (laughs) Leave your country, your family, everything you know. And we go, well, that was Abram, and God had really big plans for him, and he doesn't have those kind of big plans for me. Oh, really? Really? I, I mean, how many times do you have to hear story after story of God moving people where he wants them? When he says, go. Absolutely. When God says go, you either start going or you start living a life miserable. I'm telling you. You either start going when he says go or you're going to be fidgeting at home and going, man, my life just seems so unfulfilled. Go. How many stories are shared, right? I've shared a hundred times if I've shared it a thousand times. I don't want to be a pastor. I'm a pastor because God has me being a pastor and he says, go. It's not my first vocation. If I had my chosen vocation, I know this is going to come as a shock for many of you today, but it would be out in California at Levi Field. I may not be as good as Manning, but I can move better, okay, at this point in his career. I can only probably throw just as far as he can and as I ever could. But if I had my chosen vocation, I would be calling the plays and throwing the touchdown passes. But it wasn't for me. That's not what God picked for me to do. He said to Abraham, leave your family and go. Leave everything behind. Jesus said the same thing to the apostles. Leave your nets. Quit your job. Other disciples said, well, uh, my dad's dead. Can I go bury him? No, let the dead bury themselves. It's, It's not because God doesn't care about the dead. It's because Jesus says, when I call, you go. That's what it means to be missional. I didn't say missionary. I said missional. And there's a difference. Missional says, in your going, in your rising, in your sitting, in your laying, in your working, in your playing, wherever you find yourself in the middle of the day, beginning of the day, or end of the day, there be my hands and feet, loving, forgiving, reaching, taking care. Earlier this week, maybe your house got slammed with snow. I spent the inside for a couple of days with two children because our school system decided that it was necessary for me to spend quality time. (sighs) Hold on, I gotta calm down here. With my children. They think they know how to tell me an apparent. (laughs) All right. That's how it feels. No, it was good time, but I didn't venture out for a couple of days. The snow began to pile up. It was rather large. It finally broke out of there. One neighbor comes down, gets a swath through with a, uh, a snowblower. I'm like, well, I guess I can get out, kind of do some more. I go to the one neighbor lady's house. She's single, single mom. Clear off the driveway. I've done this a couple of times earlier in the winter. About a month ago with that snowstorm, uh, snowfall, she came over the next day. Here, here's some brownies. Thanks, Dave. I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. I'm going to have to go clean off somebody else's driveway to work off the brownies that she gave me. But 
That's all right. And I appreciate it. I didn't need a present. I didn't need anything in return. This week went over, did the driveway again. She came over yesterday. <laughs> Bottle of Malbec wine. <laughs> I was like, we are finally moving up here. She is, <laughs> she is getting this. <laughs> so I engage her in conversation, right? I don't do it to get things from her. I do it to establish a pattern of servanthood to my neighbor. That's why I do it. Because I don't want to do it. Truth be told, I don't want to get cold and go outside, but I do it because that's where God would have me. And then he changes my heart. And he molds and shapes me through the experience. She said, hey, I want you to know, I know you've done it twice this winter. I'm betting you probably won't have to clean off the driveway a third time this winter. And I was like, whoa, why? She's like, I got a boyfriend. (laughs) Now, I could have said, hey, that's awesome. Don't bother. Yeah, I'll just let him do it. No, but I engaged her in it, right? She's probably mid-50s. To have a boyfriend's a big deal. She's putting herself out there again. And she was just elated at having a boyfriend. And I said, well, hey, good for you. That's awesome. I said, next time he's over around, stop by. If it's around dinner time, especially, come on in. Well, when do you want to schedule? I said, no, just drop in. Let's just have you for dinner. Now, I know many of you planners, you're like, well, I might not have food ready. I mean, I need, I, I need a plan. Well, what if it's inconvenient? I mean, what if they stop in at 5 and we've got to be somewhere at 5.30? Here's the problem, is you're going to start hearing invitations from neighbors who are going to say, why don't you come over? And you're always going to be too busy. You're always going to have some other place to go. And eventually what's going to happen is your neighbor's going to quit inviting you. So I'm turning the tables and saying, we need to be the inviters. Over and over and over. It doesn't matter how many times we say no. And we make it as easy as possible. Because that's what missional living in the kingdom of God looks like. It is available for the other people in our life. It makes time and energy and effort available for others. And it reduces our selfishness and our own agenda and our own pride. When, Mo, when, when Abraham is told, go. You will be a blessing. Think about it. Read this verse. Acts 3.25. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. (laughs) When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. That's what he did for you. God loves you so incredibly much that he sent his Holy Spirit. Now, maybe he used a grandma or a mom and dad that took you to church. Maybe he used a neighbor or a coworker. I don't know how the word of God came to you, but I know that it came with intent. It came with a purpose to turn you from your wicked ways so that God could have your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul so that you would live with him for eternity. But it doesn't end there because now he's made you a blessing for others. Galatians 3, 6. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. 
Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance of Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You understand what the blessing is? The blessing is you have faith in Jesus Christ. The blessing is is that you, who used to walk in darkness, now walk in God's light. You who were ignorant of God's intent, plan, and purpose for your life, now walk with the knowledge based on Holy Scripture of what God intends for you to do. You no longer live in ignorance. But what we have a tendency to do as Christians is to ignore it and to say, well, I I am good. I I mean, I'm I'm good in the kingdom. God's got me, and thanks be to God, I'm just holding on for all I can. No, it's more. You were called to be a blessing. A blessing. The root behind the word blessing has this connotation that when we say you are to be God's blessing is that you are You're to be the incarnational, which means flesh, blessing. So that the words that come out of your mouth, God-pleasing. Your actions, totally loving and supporting. Go ahead, turn to your spouse. Ask this question. Are my words always a blessing to you? turn to your kids. Are my words always a blessing to you? Huh. You understand that's what you've been called to be? Not an ogre, not an anger, fear-mongering, hopeless, not that. You've been called to be a blessing to your spouse, to your children, to your coworkers, to your neighbors. You have been called to be a blessing tangibly so that the things you say are a blessing. The way you hug and hold are a blessing. The gifts that you give of your time, of your energy, are a blessing to someone. Well, I just don't really know how to serve in the kingdom of God. Well, is your life a blessing to someone? Or do people go... Uh, yeah, I really don't want to hang out with them. 1 Thessalonians 2.6 As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You want to know what the picture looks like? Is that we toil night and day for the gospel proclamation that we would love our neighbors, that we would have such great love for them that we are willing to put up with all of their idiosyncrasies, their dogs, cats, trailers parked where it shouldn't be, snow piling up that they should have cleared, 
people that you wave and say hi to all the time and they never wave back. That kind of missional living. Kind of missional living that says I will drop in and talk to my friend who is dying. The kind of missional living that says I will sacrifice my own family time if it means that another family is blessed kind of missional living that says it's no longer about our schedule, it's about God's schedule for the people around us. Just got an email last night from one of our members was invited over to a neighbor's house. A young man moved in, uh, all kinds of turmoil in their life, PTSD, suffering, his family moves all the way up from the south. I mean, now there's families on top of families, weird family units, either a boyfriend or a husband or so. I mean, confused completely. I mean, it's just this conglomeration of people and our member because she decided to clean the walk off in front of their house was invited inside. She writes a whole email about it and then at the end says, I know this is no surprise to you, but God was there. We can't afford to not show up, friends. We cannot afford any longer to let our neighbors simply go by their own way. And I don't mean that we barge into their life in such a way as to be annoying. I don't mean that we take up their time, but that we are intentional on a weekly basis with what we can do. You have 21 meals during the day. Is it possible for you to share one of them with somebody else outside your own family? Is it it possible? Do you understand the impact that it could make on somebody that's maybe lonely and you're the only other family that they get to spend time with? You will literally be the hands and feet of Christ at that moment. You will literally be the person in their life where Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. In fact, here I am in your presence sharing one meal a week. Maybe God is asking you to to branch out and to go across the street or across a fence into a new culture. I know it's a little hard here in Monument. We, we, we don't have very many cultures represented by people that live here. But it, sometimes I think we think, well, that's okay. I mean, you know, if they wanted to move in here, I guess we could love them. Give me a break. Are we so hard-headed? We do not understand that God has made us in all flavors, all colors, all backgrounds. Are we so dense? Are we so fearful? What is it? You have neighbors. You have co-workers that so desperately... (laughs) I didn't even hear the answer, but... If it's not another culture, what I'm guessing is is that God has called you into a different community. I'll guarantee you that what God has done is calling you into a community of people that you might not normally hang out with. That's what it means to be missional. I'll guarantee you that where you are, God is. Because you are His hands and feet. 
You become the tangible embodiment of a blessing to the people around you. And we're talking about people that the world, oh, we try to be politically correct in our society, but the world can't stand. The world cannot stand the poor. The world cannot stand the homosexual. The world cannot stand the divorced. The world cannot stand anyone that looks different, prays different, or acts different from us. And Jesus has called us to love them all. Which is why I know that it's going to be tension building for you. Tension building for you to be called to be missional. You're going to be challenged if you go through this daily devotion. And maybe that's why some of you didn't buy the book, and maybe that's why some of you are not going to do the devotion. You say, I am not going to go through that kind of tension. Let me ask you one more time, nicely. Please do. For the sake of what we're doing here at Family of Christ, we are trying to break down our old past and behaviors and become the hands and feet of Christ. And we need every one of you to do that with us. To love your neighbors, the people in community. To love the difficult. To be challenged. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so also I send you. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have nothing to fear. You may not have the right words. It may be dangerous. But the Lord your God is with you. And He, He is mighty to save. We know who goes before us. And who's about behind us? We know who surrounds us. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is no small thing for God. But when God's people marshal their time, their energy, and their resources together, there is no telling. There is no telling how the people in our community can be touched by the grace and the love of a merciful God and His Son, Jesus Christ. You pray with me. Father God, turn our hearts back to you. Encourage us, Father. Give us strength for each and every day. Open our homes, our checkbooks, our schedules, that we may love those who are hurting, those who are the sojourners, those that are on a spiritual journey and yet they don't even know it. And turn our hearts and theirs back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.